You know, when I was your age, I was a tough son of a biscuit eater, just like you. Hello, my name is Will, and welcome to Exploding Helicopter, the podcast that believes in God, guns, and films where helicopters explode. Now, there was a time when right-wing conspiracy theorists used to be confined to the furthest corners of late-night talk radio. But we live in a dark time, and sadly, the paranoid worldview of these fruitcakes has continued to grow in popularity, where one of them has now been elected to the White House. It's therefore unsurprising that there's now even an audience for feature films promoting their fat-free fantasies. So on this show, we're disappearing down the rabbit hole to review one such piece of paranoid propaganda. To help me review the film, I'm joined by the biggest crackpot I know. It's Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing wonderful, Will. How are you? I'm, I am doing equally as well. And uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on what is about, I think, is going to be uh, an exciting and entertaining episode of uh, the Exploding Helicopter podcast. And given the subject of the, the film we're looking at today, I thought it'd be good to find out where you stand on the topic so are there any conspiracy theories that you subscribe to i mean it's pretty basic but i kind of fall into the idea that the moon footage that we saw was faked i'm not saying that america never went to the moon i'm not saying that (laughs) i'm just saying that the footage we saw wasn't real i think we did it a couple days later than what we said I think that they got on the moon and they walked and they did all this stuff. But the footage we saw on the news that everybody has seen time and time again is not real. Okay. And what leads you to this sort of halfway house, I guess, conspiracy? I think it's a couple things. I think it's, you know, you got to look at the time. It was the 60s, uh, the nation's in turmoil. You have the civil rights uh, movement starting to get up and go on. The country's starting to become divided. You have Russia. They're trying their hardest to get up there. And they're so close. So what's the best way to rally a nation together, beat the Russians, and really just make everyone America, America, USA, USA kind of thing? It's, hey, we're on the moon. So why not get everybody together? Everybody at once in the world is collectively watching this one thing together, unifying us as a nation. Yes, we did it. Yes, we're Americans. And we can move forward no matter what our differences And here's us landing on the moon. Russia pulls back or they slow down and try to do something else. And then we can take our time, finally get to the moon and then do it. Also, why haven't we gone back since? Why are we not colonizing? Why are we not doing more on the moon? No one has set foot on the moon since then. All the technology we have, every advancement we've made, and no one's gone back there? What's up with that? Send all the robots you want, but why not put a person up there again? Because it's a desolate, dry rock with nothing of value. Well, just to put somebody up there and show it again, you know what I mean? Get some 4K <laughs> up there, really get some images. You just know what I mean? Put someone up there. Yeah, somebody. Put a kid up there. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I mean, wouldn't would you be prepared to put your sort of money where your mouth is on this? Because I I seem to remember either Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin uh, wiping somebody's clock after they uh, questioned them to their face. So, you know, if you bumped into Buzz Aldrin, would you be prepared to say, hey, Buzz, I think, you know, you're part of one of the biggest frauds of the 20th century? I don't think I could do that. I, th- I think <laughs> I have too much respect for him as a person and for everything that he's done outside of that. So I don't think I could bring it up to his face. I don't know if that makes me a coward or if I've just, you know, I, I don't think I could do that to him. And like I said, I'm not saying he didn't go. I'm just saying what we saw wasn't real. 
Now, whether Stanley Kubrick did it or not, I don't know. But what we saw wasn't real. Okay. Well, I think it's time that we got stuck into uh, another conspiracy uh, theory. So uh, let's uh, listen to a bit of the trailer for Amerigeden and hear some delusional fear-mongering. The reason I'm here today is to encourage the U.S. Congress to take action to protect our country from its most imminent threat. Electricity would cease, the internet would go down, and the banking system. The smokescreen of national security used by government at every level. A strong America is the only thing standing in the way. Country only needs a little chaos. We have a fog that has descended on our entire nation. Hello, Mr. President. Now is the time. The average American family only has three days of food. We need to talk face to face. This is important. Sir, what's the mission? Disarm the population and restore order. Do you have any weapons inside your home or on your person? You have to give the president power to arrest any American by simply accusing them of terrorism. The vanity of nationalism will quickly fade. These are but the birth pangs of a new world order. I'm just so afraid of the world that you're going to have to grow up in. This is the time, man, woman, young or old, when folks run and hide. Or they pull up their bootstraps and they fight. When you sell your soul, it's a one-time thing. There's no going back. In the alternative universe of Amerigeddon, the American president is conspiring with the United Nations and a shadowy, never-defined global elite to take over the United States. Their plan is to uh, disable the country's power supply using an EMP blast from satellites in space. They intend to use the ensuing chaos of the blackout to institute martial law enforced by uh, United Nations soldiers so they can deprive Americans of their Second Amendment rights and take away their guns. And with the United States uh, neutered in this way, there's nothing to stop the cabal of conspirators bringing about their dream of world government. The plot of the film centres on the Lane family. Uh, so uh, that is uh, headed by Charlie, who is this wealthy businessman who's been trying to warn the public um, that the US is vulnerable to just this sort of attack. Uh, after the uh, takeover begins, he holds up on his ranch, which is a uh, doomsday preppers wet dream of a facility in order to start the resistance. There's also Charlie's surrogate son, Brandon. Uh, relationships aren't entirely clear in this film. Um, so that's how I'm going to describe him. Um, he's a serving uh, U.S. Marine. He accidentally stumbles across evidence of the conspiracy and has to go on the run uh, from the evil United Nations forces who will stop at nothing to get the incriminating material back. This sets up everything for a big showdown on the Lane family ranch between the conspirators and a group of uh, gun-toting, god-fearing patriots. Uh, as this is rather a low-budget film, 
there are only a few recognisable actors in the cast. Uh, so you have perennial movie villain uh, Marshall Teague, uh, who had his uh, throat ripped out so memorably in Roadhouse. He plays a treacherous colonel with the US Army. Uh, there are also roles for Dina Meyer, best known for Starship Troopers, uh, and for her role as Detective Kerry in the Saw franchise. Rather inexplicably, uh, Diane Ladd also has a small role in the film, uh, as does everyone's least favourite uh, right-wing conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. Uh, the film was directed by Mike Norris, who, uh, whilst acting and directing a bunch of films, is still best known as the son of Chuck Norris. Uh, Mary Geddon has a uh, 3.4 uh, user rating on IMDb and uh, a somewhat alarmingly high uh, 55% user rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so with all that background out the way, Nick, what did you make of uh, Mary Geddon? This was a tough watch, Will. <laughs> uh, you sent me films in the past that were not always easy to get through, but there was always an underlying element that made them enjoyable and fun. This was not that. I had a hell of a time trying to get a copy of this. Uh, it was not available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was not on Netflix. It was not on the Google Play Store. I had to go to this third-party site and rent it. Thankfully, it was only like 50 cents. 50 cents well spent, I might add. Uh, but this was this was a rough watch. I think upon repeated viewings, maybe with a group of people, to kind of sit around and – just take in together what is actually happening and what are they actually saying is um, I think would be more enjoyable. But to be by myself and to watch this and just have so many questions, so many questions and wonderings. In the beginning, uh, it opens up on a Senate hearing, right? So you have the character of Charlie, mm. this wealthy businessman out of Texas. Why is he meeting with the Senate at a hearing? What's the hearing about? How did he, of all people in the world, even begin to have a conversation <laughs> with them? And bring up the topic of like, well, here's what you're doing wrong and here's what you need to do. No Senate's going to want to listen to that. Also, why does this Senate committee taking place in the back of a VFW? It doesn't <laughs> It doesn't look at all like it would be a Senate congressional hearing. And then the way they act and the way they speak to each other, I'm like, this isn't – what's going on here? But once I suspended my disbelief and watched the rest of it, it was at times enjoyable. But other times it's like, this is a real stretch. Mm. I'm not understanding how this would happen. I don't know how this would happen. I feel like when the script was written, it was just a lot of ideas and a lot of, like you said earlier, pushing theories but not really having the facts to back them up. I think there are some elements that are plausible, like a martial law type situation, but the UN taking over America and being you know, the <laughs> leaders when martial law comes through – that's nigh impossible. I mean, anybody can within seconds find out that the United States funds like 22, 23% of the UN. So no one's taking us over, especially <laughs> if we're like running a quarter of the organization. You know what I mean? Um, the acting was, I don't know. It wasn't like Hallmark movie level good. I feel like it was a step down from that. Um, there was some really even, bad acting in this film. Yeah, and even I think with Diane I think Ladd. yeah, I think the trouble though is there's, there's there's a real mixture here of actors who you know you'll recognise from films of uh, varying quality, and then there are what I think are people who are quite clearly just not actors who are just like amateurs that have been 
roped into to making this film and so that then creates a really rough you know range of acting that's on display here from sort of like competent actors who are dealing with a very bad script and then incompetent actors who are then having to wrestle with a terrible terrible script yeah and and everybody's trying to make the best of it and it makes me wonder like how low is the budget where you couldn't afford i don't know an extra two takes or <laughs> hey let's try it again but say it this way instead um maybe these were the best takes nick that may be the more that might be the most don't, frightening don't reality of this whole thing <laughs> But there's just I, – I, I tell you what, though. The way they – and this is going to sound bizarre even say even thinking this sentence sounds bizarre to me. The way they structured it, though, was really well, like really well done. The way the story kind of flowed together and how they jumped back and forth between the different plot lines and what was going on, as nonsensical as they might have been, it made for a cohesive story. At no point was I like, what the hell is going mm. on based on the plot? It was more of like a line of dialogue that was said. Or some CGI elements that I'm sure we'll get into occurring and wondering what's going on there. But for the most part, like it's a cohesive story, and I get what they're trying to say and what they're coming from, and that you know, as a nation, we need to really take a step back and look at our interests and protect our constitution. And if I, they said constitution too many times, well, I feel like you could say constitution <laughs> once or twice. We get the picture. Um, there's a scene where they're on the phone, how they've taken over your country and your constitution. I'm like, well, I feel like one kind of falls in line with mm -hmm. the other and no one can really take control of a document unless you physically possess it. And even if you tear it up, the rules are still there. Ain't nothing going to change. Like there's just so many, there's so much policy mm -hmm. and process that I feel like they're just overlooking in general. Is well, it fun? Sure. It's fun, but it's also really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I feel a bit conflicted about this film. I, I have a sort of yin and yang thoughts on it because I watched it and, you know, you can, as you were talking about, it's a sort of film that if you kind of bunch of friends together, have a few drinks, you can sort of sit back and you can really mm -hmm. tear this baby apart because it's, it's just got horrendous acting. There's terrible dialogue. The conspiracy premise is just frankly you know if you start pulling at the threads of it it'll just completely unravels really really quickly so it's a, it's a sort of film that you could get together with a few friends you could watch it have a have a good time watching it and, and have a and, and just laugh your way through this this particular movie but uh i was sort of looking uh, on on YouTube for a few sort of clips from this film, and uh, I came across uh, some uh, you know YouTube uh, reviews of this film, and you know there are quite a lot of people. I was saw one of them basically reviewing this film. They'd gone to see it at this uh, theater in Texas. They were interviewing people who were coming out of the theater, uh, having watched the film, and you know they were talking about this film really positively. They were going, yeah. This is, you know, this is a this film's a real warning. It's, you know, it's kind of uh, finally getting to see a film that sort of tells the truth. So, you know, the the kind of the, you know, as much as I sort of want to be amused and just sort of laugh this film away, you know, after watching that, there's there's a there's a there's a sort of worrying element as well. Whereas there's people actually out there who are believing this crap. Oh yeah, because you get people that are stuck in the middle of nowhere, literally the central part of a state or the country. There's nothing really coming through. People are passing by. People are driving through to get to the coasts or more populated cities. So people are just kind of stuck hearing misinformation and secondhand talk and repeating it as if it were gospel. 
And it just – it can't work like that. And it's weird because at times, you know, I want to laugh and I want to tear into it. But another part of me is like I know that this isn't real and I know that this is fiction. Sure, it's based on some ideas that in a weird way could mm. be perceived as reality. But are other people feeling the same way? You know, is it – is other people realizing like, oh, this is just a joke kind of thing? Sure, we should take a look at our infrastructure and make sure we're ready for a terroristic attack like that where, it, you know, an EMP would go off and what's our backups for it? Sure. But I'm not concerned that the government all of a sudden is going to show up at my door, say, hey, it's martial law now. you got to come with us, and we're now run by the UN, which is weirdly <laughs> run by a Russian and I think a Chinese diplomat. I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, let's dig into the conspiracy that's laid out here in this film. So uh, in the alternate universe of, the, of this film, we have uh, an international group of people who seem to be led by the chairman of the United Nations who are intent on setting up something called the New World Order. Um, America is in the way of this. So the plotters are working with the United, uh, working with the president of America itself, who is in cahoots with these people, to come up with this plot to incapacitate the US through creating this power cut and through and that then leading to this sort of ensuing social chaos which will allow the United Nations to essentially take over America and I guess knock America out of the way in terms of their plans for what they they have to do with the with the rest of the world. I, I mean, I'm kind of so struggling really to sort of lay out any more detail than that because the film doesn't really go into any more details. It doesn't really sort of say who these people are or what their objectives are. So we've got this thing called the New World Order. They want to set it up, but we don't really understand. We're never told who these people are and what do they want to do with this New World Order. I mean, uh, you know. It, it just is, I guess, left to us to think, well, that's inherently a bad thing. And it may well be, but I kind of think you need to put a little bit of flesh on the bones. But, uh, yeah, what did you make of the uh, of the sort of the conspiracy that uh, the conspiracy theory is laid out in this film? Well, I think if you leave it vague, it allows the viewer to throw in whoever they want. You know what I mean? They can say, mm -hmm. oh, it's this country. It's that country. Or, oh, I knew it was so and so. And they might not even have ever mentioned so and so. I, I just doesn't I don't think the conspiracy has any merit. I don't foresee any president. I don't see anyone in power in America passing a legislation or doing an executive order saying that in the event of a martial law, this country, this sovereign entity now has rule over America. That mm. doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Now, the idea of a new world order. Sure. When you look into the Illuminati, Bohemian Grove. Bilderberg group, when you start to look into stuff like that, Skull and Bones, and kind of piece things together, sure, there might be, you know, some third party that's secretly running things. You know, oh, they've got the elections planned out for the next so many years, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, what is the grand – if – in this case, you have an EMP attack, right, wiping out the America, leaving it defenseless. If you wanted to rule over that, then what are you ruling over? Destruction? Nothingness? <laughs> Like, I mean, a couple well, spots that wouldn't be too bad, but major yeah. populated areas like Baltimore would be more of a nightmare than what it already is. <laughs> you saw what Chicago <laughs> would look like <laughs> with that terrible rendering. Um, 
but that it just doesn't mm. that's never made sense to me if we're going to destroy it and then take it over for what who's going to rebuild it how mm. are you going to rebuild it with what resources well like, it's i just... mean maybe they don't actually want to rebuild anything because there's this line that's in the film Ooh, which okay is, which is just said by the 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 head of the un the world can only sustain a population of 500 million people so you've got the head of the un basically sort of suggesting that we need to kill off around 7 billion people in order to get the world population down to a, a sort of you know a sensible sustainable level so maybe maybe they don't really want maybe they're quite happy to just uh, rule over the remains of america but um it's it's hard to imagine that that um you know, somebody who does want to kill off seven billion people actually managing to uh, manoeuvre themselves to to become the head of uh, the United Nations. It seems a sort of uh, unlikely place that they would uh, they would end up, um, no matter what sort of conspiracies behind them. And is the United Nations really going to be able to take over, you know, America, which is one of the most powerful countries in the world? I mean, the United Nations is is probably amongst the most dysfunctional organizations on this on this planet are they really going to get their stuff together to be able to take over america i suspect not absolutely not the united nations <laughs> has no pull in anything there's no military there's no nothing they can do and i i hate to say it like this it's nothing more than like a peer mediator you know mm. what i mean it's if you have a problem with another country hey we're all going to get together and talk about it china why are you feeling this way you know england why are you feeling this way I just – I really don't see them – they don't have a home base um, like in their own sovereign land. I mean they got an office here in New York uh, and I'm sure in other countries in the world, but it's not like it's a permanent thing. It's not like they own it. You know what I mean? It's been given to them as a gift or a lease or something like that. So for such a defenseless, powerless organization to have such sway over America, I don't – I really don't see that happening. I really don't, and – you know, and that's not coming from like a, you know, yeah, America, USA. It's just statistically looking at it like America is way big. It's it's too powerful in some stances. And I think we have too many hands and too many cookie jars. It's going to really bite us at one point. But as it stands, it's it's just too big. It's too big mm -hmm. to come down like that. It would take like the half of the world to come after us. It would, it would literally take the Eastern hemisphere to get together. And it's like, all right, we're done. We're done with you. We're all coming after you. And I was also really perplexed by the, the, the group that are meant to be, I guess the heroes of this movie, because the strap line of this, of this film is they've stolen our country. It's time to take it back. And our heroes on this movie, they don't really try to take the country back. They just, go and hole up on on their ranch and hope to ride out this out this whole out this whole scenario and you know there's a scene where uh, you know charlie who is leading this resistance who's the main character in this film he's talking to um the kind of local politician in texas and you know he's saying to him it's time for texas to secede you know from the united states so he's got he's got no intention of getting it taking the country back he just wants you know texas to become its own independent independent state and i guarantee you when that line was set in the theater people stood up and cheered or hooting and hollered or threw their hats up to catch him i guarantee you that was done yeah wholeheartedly i don't understand why they hold up on this ranch and then they took the country back so now they have to so this group of they is like what eight dudes and a couple SUVs that come rolling in. There's no tanks. There's no massive military <laughs> force. 
And this army unit that we kind of haven't touched on that's kind of just around, it's it's a Boy Scout troop. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not this massive facility. I mean, at some point they look over mm. and they see a tower. They're like, I wonder what that is. It's like, oh, we can't go over there. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, what? There's what? just – it was just too many things to be like, oh, yeah, that's – oh, yeah, it's because of this. Oh, yeah, it's because of that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, anyone listening to this is probably wondering how a film like Amerigeddon exists. Well, it was uh, produced by uh, somebody called Gary uh, Heaven, or Heaven, as uh, I suspect he probably pronounces his name. Now, I, I, I sort of looked into this guy once I discovered that uh, that he actually produced this film. And it turns out that he's uh, uh, he's not somebody, maybe he's known in the States. Uh, I don't know. He's not somebody who's, who's known in the UK. Uh, he's a multimillionaire who's uh, having sold off his uh, nationwide chain of, of fitness centers. He's also a committed Christian, having been uh, rather ironically being born again whilst in prison, whilst serving a jail sentence for uh, failing to pay his uh, child support. And uh, in the last few years, he's decided to use his time and money to start making films that to promote his worldview. So he's actually uh, produced uh, a few films now. And um, given that he's paying for this film, he's very modestly uh, put himself in the lead role of it. Um, so, uh, Nick, I wondered what you made of uh, of his performance here it was fine um <laughs> really <laughs> i for what it is and what he's doing he was very convicted and it and it really showed that he wasn't just like reading off a card somewhere like there was a genuine belief in what he was saying and i feel like but his delivery he, is so flat though oh yeah oh no for sure well, it's a very serious he was just very serious all the time but i something about it though like the way he i don't know he just felt so genuine he was the only one heavy-handed at that but he was the only one that felt genuine like when i heard him speak i thought of a handful of people that i know personally and i'm like oh yeah this is so and so or oh man this is so and so so for me hearing it i'm like oh no this is this guy real this guy is real and he exists and he brought a genuineness to the character whereas some of these other characters i'm like oh you are just cartoons mm. that he just made up and needed a face for and just looking him up online now, I had zero idea he was the founder of Curves, which is mind-blowing to me. Now, I think it would be uh, remiss of us to review Amerigeddon and not to consider the performance of, uh, of Alex Jones of uh, Infowars fame. Uh, what did you make of his turn in the film? I was a little disappointed he wasn't in there more. <laughs> uh, I feel like there should have been a scene where he's talking to somebody – you know, behind the scenes or there's a news report later with him talking mm. or bringing something up. Like, I just I didn't get my Jones fix <laughs> like I was Jones and for Jones. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? If that makes sense. I uh, it's I cast a bit a... against type, isn't he? Because he's he appears at the start of this film at this um, uh, Senate or congressional hearing. And he plays a senator who is basically shooting down the conspiracy that the Charlie character is putting forward. He tells him, oh, he's talking nonsense. You know, you've got nothing to substantiate all of this. So he's actually, Alex Jones is kind of the character that he's playing is, is really against type. He's really sort of talking at odds with the, the type of views which we would normally expect of him and certainly which the, the film is, uh, which the film is just supporting. So it's a kind of, it's interesting to sort of see him, I guess, going against the grain of what we come to know and expect of him. And it's also interesting to see him speak calmly like a human being. He's not shouting. <laughs> he's not yelling about frogs being gay. He's 
You know what I mean? He's got a normal palette on his face. He's yeah. not like red in the face from shouting. Like he's he, just he actually, like a normal, uh, actually regular sort of, dude. Yeah, he actually at one moment sort of loses his temper, but then controls himself and he realizes, oh no, I'm a senator. I shouldn't lose my temper. And you see him stop, count his breath, uh, hold his breath, and count and count ten. So uh, very against, I guess, usual demeanor that you expect to see from him in the in this particular movie. Yeah, just kind of buttons his coat and is like, you know what, we're too good for this. Mm-hmm. We're out of here. And I wonder if, if Gary knows the guy personally or if it was a, hi, Alex, I'm making a film about this and I'd like you to stop on by. Or if he, I'd like to bring you down to the ranch, Alex. And we, oh, we just so happen to be making a film. Do you want to be in it? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, well, I, I uh, yeah, who who knows uh, how how exactly he came to be in this film? But uh, um, there are a few other sort of name actors in in this movie. So we get uh, we get Marshall Teague in this as well. Um, you know, I was particularly struck though by um, Diane Ladd's turn in this film. Obviously, very well well regarded uh, actress. She's been in some fantastic films. She's uh, also been nominated for for an Oscar at one point. Um, what did you make of her turn in this? Because it appeared to me, I mean, she's, I think she's in her 80s now, and she plays this sort of grandmother character in this film who, you know, she's she's got cancer, but you know what? She's not going to take her medicine because God is going to heal her of her, uh, of her cancer. And her performance in this film, it just seemed to me like she just wandered onto the set and she just didn't really quite know what film she was in. You know, somebody had handed her some lines of dialogue and she was like, okay, this is an environment I'm familiar with. Oh, there's the camera. Okay, these are my lines. I'm going. Uh, She just seemed like a slightly bewildered presence in this film. Yeah, something always seemed off whenever she was on screen. It felt like she was playing like the senile old woman because anytime she brought something up, it was always really intense. And it almost... Like it had stuff to do with the film. Like uh, out of nowhere, we're like, "Oh yeah, I'm not taking my meds anymore because I'm just it's cancer's not going anywhere." So what's the sense? And we're like, "Okay, that's really intense for a movie where you know the government's gonna or a shadow government's gonna bring down America." But then later on, she's going on about how the country's going to hell in a handbasket and it's a terrible place and all this stuff. And then she's talking to her granddaughter and like reminding her about guns and everything. And it's like, "Whoa, whoa, grandma, what's going?" <laughs> What's going on here? But then the more she spoke with like that, it was like a it's a silent crazy where <laughs> you can see in her eyes. You know what I mean? Her words might be a little, eh, but the eyes is where it's at. I'm like, that's where Laura Dern gets it, right there in the eyes. She gets it. it's not Bruce. Bruce helps her with like the over the top stuff, but like that silent crazy that Laura can do, that's Diane Ladd all day, all night. But yeah, I agree with you. I feel like she was just kind of there, and it was really, really weird to see that. Okay, I think we're going to take a a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. Hello, everybody. My name is Daverne, and I am the host of the Cinema Recall Podcast, which you can find at thatmomentin.com. On each episode, myself, along with a great guest, we will discuss in detail an iconic scene from a classic movie. So come check us out. We are available on Podomatic, on Stitcher, and most other places you can find podcasts. We are also on Facebook, just type in Cinema Recall. And we are also on Twitter at Cinema underscore underline recall. We hope you enjoy the show and thank you for listening. We're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. 
This takes place during the film's big finale. This sees Charlie and Brandon take on the Russian panto villain in a helicopter dogfight over the grounds of his ranch. It appears that our heroes are outgunned against their military opponent, but they forget about the resourcefulness of the American people. Because after a fancy bit of flying, Charlie manoeuvres the helicopter above his opponent, allowing uh, Brandon to throw a Molotov cocktail at it. Uh, the incendiary hits its target and the whirly bird is consumed uh, in flaming petrol. Uh, and a few seconds later, the whirly bird um, explodes in a fireball of wreckage uh nick what did you make of the exploding helicopter action i was actually very excited about the exploding helicopter mainly because throughout the film there is use of cgi uh everywhere anytime a bullet is shot and a hole is left on a vehicle or there's a, a wound on somebody it's nine times out of ten it's cgi in the film and at first you don't notice it and it's like okay but the more and more it happens, the more and more you notice it. I'm like, oh, the money started to run out. Okay. Um, <laughs> they even cut to uh, uh, what they show Chicago after the EMP blast, and it is terrible. My fiance even pointed out there's no faces on the bodies, mm. and that was really creepy. But to see a, a helicopter explosion, to see a helicopter get in a fight with another helicopter that is clearly not equipped with rocket launchers but is shooting <laughs> rockets out is really incredible. <laughs> But the most incredible thing, and, and Will, I always appreciate you sending me films like these because I feel like every film you've sent me recently, there is something I've never seen in a helicopter explosion before. I have never seen somebody get above said helicopter and then drop a Molotov onto it. <laughs> to see that, drop Molotov and then roll out, and then you see the helicopter kind of fall, split into mm. three, fall and hit the ground, but not a second explosion. I'm like – Okay, like this is really – like it's really cool. It's really nice to see them get inventive and not like, hey, we're locked on target. Boom, mm. take them out. It's, hey, we got to figure out something, get creative. Boom, drop a Molotov from above it. So that was really, really cool to see. Yeah, I mean I've never seen a helicopter blown up by a Molotov cocktail before. Um, I can't think of one in another film, um, but certainly – um, even if one has been blown up in another film, certainly it's never been whilst that uh, helicopter is airborne. So, I mean, it's an it's a air-to-air uh, Molotov cocktail missile that we, get, that we get to see in this film. And uh, that is pretty cool. It's pretty unique. And I don't think... I think it's unlikely that anybody's ever going to probably um, do that method of destruction again. So, I mean, uh, Amerigenon does have this unique um kind of standing point i guess uh, in the canon of uh, of exploding helicopter uh, of movies um, as you say yeah i do always like to see um a helicopter dog fight and as you say there is this bizarre sight of this helicopter firing at our heroes um with rockets when it's clearly you know you see loads of shots of this helicopter it clearly has got rockets nowhere on uh, the body of this uh, of this aircraft but uh, you know they're just cgi'd in and you know what the hell why not uh, I did. There was there's some you know little details here where uh, which I thought were quite cool. Whereas the the hero's helicopter is this is this very small Schweizer 300C helicopter. I did a little bit of research, which is a, it's a very small helicopter. And so uh, an element actually of the dogfight is the fact that this smaller helicopter is more manoeuvrable. So whilst it doesn't have any uh, weapons apart from uh, the Molotov cocktails they've got on board, it can sort of 
you know, the, there is a sort of an air of believability to the fact that it can manage to avoid its opponent, even though it's sort of outgunned in this particular air duel. And um, I sort of enjoy, I enjoyed the fact that that was woven in and gave the scene um, a little bit more credibility than the CGI rockets necessarily gave it. Oh, for sure. And uh, not to give this guy too much credit, but it definitely felt like a real David and Goliath kind of thing mm. where it's using its weakness to its strength and it takes it out. And the flames and explosion itself, it was fine. Uh, a little too heavy on the CGI for me, but of course, I'm sure they didn't have the budget and the personnel to really have a big explosion. But just to see uh, a Molotov dropped onto this was just exciting nonetheless. And like you said, I really don't foresee us seeing that in another film because I can't think of another film where this would work. Maybe <laughs> in like a Terminator type film where there's like a post-apocalyptic kind of vibe mm-hmm. and they have to kind of, you know, makeshift some explosives together and they drop it from on high but i truly can't think of another film where that would like where that would work or where it would be plausible well thanks nick and uh i think we're gonna sort of wrap things up on this show uh just about there so uh nick do you want to take a, a moment to do a few plugs for your own stuff online Yes, you can find me on FrenchToastSunday.com along with myself and the other French Toast Sunday members. We have new episodes up. Recently, we did an episode where we talked about our favorite films that have gone direct to DVD or streaming. And that was a really interesting one. There's a lot of films that I had no idea were actually direct to DVD and streaming. So that was fun. Um, Outside of that, I've been on previous episodes of this wonderful podcast. So definitely go back into the catalog and check us out on those episodes. And as always, don't forget to check out Exploding Helicopter Online. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Letterboxd. Just search for Exploding Helicopter and you'll find us. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.